Welcome back to Everyday Anarchism. This is part of the Anarchism 101 series, and it's a dialogue from uh, Mohandas Gandhi's book, Hind Swaraj, or Home Rule. And joining me to play the part of reader, where I will play the part of editor, editor being basically Gandhi, is Abby Russ, who uh, was a student of mine and will be attending the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in the fall. Abby, welcome to Everyday Anarchism. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. Thank you for joining me. This is an experiment. I haven't done this before. And let's uh, let's try and do this dialogue. Chapter 17. So Roman numerals are hard. Um, <laughs> passive resistance. Is there any historical evidence as to the success of what you have called soul force or truth force? No instance seems to have happened of any nation having risen through soul force. I still think that the evildoers will not cease doing evil without physical punishment. The poet Tulsidas has said, of religion, pity or love is the root as egotism of the body. Therefore, we should not abandon pity so long as we are alive. This appears to me to be a scientific truth. I believe in it as much as I believe in two and two being four. The force of love is the same as the force of the soul or truth. We have evidence of its working at every step. The universe would disappear without the existence of that force. But you ask for historical evidence. It is therefore necessary to know what history means. The Gujarati equivalent means, it so happened. If that is the meaning of history, it is possible to give copious evidence. But if it means the doings of kings and emperors, then there can be no evidence of soul force or passive resistance in such history. You cannot expect silver ore in a tin mine. History as we know it is a record of the wars of the world. And so there is a proverb among Englishmen that a nation which has no history, that is, no wars, is a happy nation. How kings played, how they become enemies of one another, and how they murdered one another is found accurately recorded in history. And if this were all that had happened in the world, it would have been ended long ago. If the story of the universe had commenced with wars, not a man would have been found alive today. These people who have been warred against have disappeared, as for instance, the natives of Australia, of whom hardly a man was left alive by the intruders. Mark, please, that these natives did not use soul force in self-defense, and it does not require much foresight to know that the Australians will share the same fate as their victims. Those that wield the sword shall perish by the sword. With us, the proverb is that the professional swimmers will find a watery grave. The fact that there are so many men still alive in the world shows that it is based not on the force of arms, but on the force of truth or love. Therefore, the greatest and most unimpeachable evidence of the success of this force is to be found in the fact that, in spite of the wars of the world, it still lives on. Thousands, indeed tens of thousands, depend for their existence on a very active working of this force. Little quarrels of millions of families in their daily lives disappear before the exercise of this force. Hundreds of nations live in peace. History does not and cannot take note of this fact. History is really a record of every interruption of the even working of the force of love or of the soul. Two brothers quarrel. One of them repents and reawakens the love that was lying dormant in him. The two again begin to live in peace. Nobody takes note of this. But if the two brothers, 
through the intervention of solicitors or some other reason, take up arms or go to law, which is another form of the exhibition of brute force. Their doings would be immediately noticed in the press. They would be the talk of their neighbors and would probably go down to history. And what is true of families and communities is true of nations. There is no reason to believe that there is one law for families and another for nations. History, then, is a record of an interruption of the course of nature. Soul force being natural is not noted in history. According to what you say, it is plain that instances of the kind of passive resistance are not to be found in history. It is necessary to understand this passive resistance more fully. It will be better, therefore, if you enlarge upon it. Passive resistance is a method of securing rights by personal suffering. It is the reverse of resistance by arms. When I refuse to do a thing that is repugnant to my conscience, I use soul force. For instance, the government of the day has passed a law which is applicable to me. I do not like it if, by using violence, I force the government to repeal the law, I am employing what may be termed body force. If I do not obey the law and accept the penalty for its breach, I use soul force. It involves sacrifice of self. Everybody admits that sacrifice of self is infinitely superior to sacrifice of others. Moreover, if this kind of force is used in a cause that is unjust, only the person using it suffers. He does not make others suffer for his mistakes. Men have before now done many things which were subsequently found to have been wrong. No man can claim to be absolutely in the right or that a particular thing is wrong because he thinks so, but it is wrong for him so long as that is his deliberate judgment. It is therefore meet that he should not do that which he knows to be wrong and suffer the consequence whatever it may be. This is the key to the use of soul force. You would then disregard laws? This is rank disloyalty. We have always been considered a law-abiding nation. You seem to be going even beyond the extremists. They say that we must obey the laws that have been passed, but that, if the laws be bad, we must drive out the lawgivers even by force. Whether I go beyond them or whether I do not is a matter of no consequence to either of us. We simply want to find out what is right and to act accordingly. The real meaning of the statement that we are a law-abiding nation is that we are passive resistors. When we do not like certain laws, we do not break the heads of lawgivers, but we suffer and do not submit to the laws. That we should obey laws, whether good or bad, is a newfangled notion. There was no such thing in former days. The people disregarded those laws they did not like and suffered the penalties for their breach. It is contrary to our manhood if we obey laws repugnant to our conscience. Such teaching is opposed to religion and means slavery. If the government were to ask us to go about without any clothing, should we do so? If I were a passive resistor, I would say to them that I would have nothing to do with their law. But we have so forgotten ourselves and become so compliant that we do not mind any degrading law. A man who has realized his manhood, who fears only God, will fear no one else. Man-made laws are not necessarily binding on him. Even the government does not expect any such thing from us. They do not say, 
you must do such and such a thing. But they say, if you do not do it, we will punish you. We are sunk so low that we fancy that it is our duty and our religion to do what the law lays down. If man will only realize that it is unmanly to obey laws that are unjust, no man's tyranny will enslave him. That is the key to self-rule or home rule. It is a superstition and an ungodly thing to believe that an act of a majority binds a minority. Many examples can be given in which acts of majorities will be found to have been wrong and those of minorities to have been right. All reforms owe their origin to the initiation of minorities in opposition to majorities. If among a band of robbers, a knowledge of robbing is obligatory, is a pious man to accept the obligation? So long as the superstition that men should obey unjust laws exists, so long will their slavery exist. And a passive resistor alone can remove such a superstition. To use brute force, to use gunpowder, is contrary to passive resistance. For it means that we want our opponent to do by force that which we desire, but he does not. And if such a use of force is justifiable, surely he is entitled to do likewise by us. And so we should never come to an agreement. We may simply fancy, like the blind horse moving in a circle around a mill, that we are making progress. Those who believe that they are not bound to obey laws which are repugnant to their conscience have only the remedy of passive resistance open to them. Any other must lead to disaster. From what you say, I deduce that passive resistance is a splendid weapon of the weak, but that when they are strong, they may take up arms. This is gross ignorance. Passive resistance, that is, soul force, is matchless. It is superior to the force of arms. How, then, can it be considered only a weapon of the weak? Physical force men are strangers to the courage that is requisite in a passive resistor. Do you believe that a coward can ever disobey a law that he dislikes? Extremists are considered to be advocates of brute force. Why do they, then, talk about obeying laws? I do not blame them. They can say nothing else. When they succeed in driving out the English and they themselves become governors, they will want you and me to obey their laws. And that is a fitting thing for their constitution. But a passive resistor will say he will not obey a law that is against his conscience, even though he may be blown to pieces at the mouth of a cannon. What do you think? Wherein is courage required? In blowing others to pieces from behind a cannon? Or with a smiling face to approach a cannon and to be blown to pieces? Who is the true warrior? He who keeps death always as a bosom friend, or he who controls the death of others. Believe me that a man devoid of courage and manhood can never be a passive resistor. This, however, I will admit, that even a man, weak in body, is capable of offering this resistance. One man can offer it just as well as millions. Both men and women can indulge in it. It does not require the training of an army. It needs no jujitsu. Control over the mind is alone necessary, and when that is attained, man is free like the king of the forest, and his very glance withers the enemy. Passive resistance is an all-sided sword. It can be used anyhow. It blesses him who uses it and him against whom it is used. Without drawing a drop of blood, it produces far-reaching results. It never rusts and cannot be stolen. 
competition between passive resistors does not exhaust. The sword of passive resistance does not require a scabbard. It is strange indeed that you should consider such a weapon to be a weapon merely of the weak. You have said that passive resistance is a specialty of India. Have cannons never been used in India? Evidently, in your opinion, India means its few princes. To me, it means its teeming millions, on whom depends the existence of its princes and our own. Kings will always use their kingly weapons. To use force is bred in them. They want to command, but those who have to obey commands do not want guns, and these are in a majority throughout the world. They have to learn either body force or soul force. When they learn the former, both the rulers and the ruled become like so many madmen. But where they learn soul force, the commands of the rulers do not go beyond the point of their swords. For true men disregard unjust commands. Peasants have never been subdued by the sword and never will be. They do not know the use of the sword and they are not frightened by the use of it by others. The nation is great which rests its head upon death as its pillow. Those who defy death are free from all fear. For those who are laboring under the delusive charms of brute force, this picture is not overdrawn. The fact is that in India, the nation at large has generally used passive resistance in all departments of life. We cease to cooperate with our rulers when they displease us. This is passive resistance. I remember an instance when, in a small principality, the villagers were offended by some command issued by the prince. The former immediately began vacating the village. The prince became nervous, apologized to his subjects, and withdrew his command. Many such instances can be found in India. Real home rule is possible only where passive resistance is the guiding force of the people. Any other rule is foreign rule. Then you will say that it is not at all necessary for us to train the body? I will certainly not say any such thing. It is difficult to become a passive resistor unless the body is trained. As a rule, the mind, residing in a body that has become weakened by pampering, is also weak. And where there is no strength of mind, there can be no strength of soul. We will have to improve our physique by getting rid of infant marriages and luxurious living. If I were to ask a man having a shattered body to face a cannon's mouth, I would make of myself a laughingstock. From what you say, then, it would appear that it is not a small thing to become a passive resistor. And if that is so, I would like you to explain how a man may become a passive resistor. To become a passive resistor is easy enough, but it is also equally difficult. I have known a lad of 14 years become a passive resistor. I have known also sick people doing likewise, and I have also known physically strong and otherwise happy people being unable to take up passive resistance. After a great deal of experience, it seems to me that those who want to become passive resistors for the service of the country have to observe perfect chastity, adopt poverty, follow truth, and cultivate fearlessness. Chastity is one of the greatest disciplines without which the mind cannot attain requisite firmness. A man who is unchaste loses stamina, becomes emasculated and cowardly. He whose mind is given over to animal passions is not capable of any great effort. This can be proved by innumerable instances. What then is a married person to do? 
is the question that arises naturally, and yet it need not. When a husband and wife gratify the passions, it is no less an animal indulgence on that account. Such an indulgence, except for perpetuating the race, is strictly prohibited. But a passive resistor has to avoid even that very limited indulgence, because he can have no desire for progeny. A married man, therefore, can observe perfect chastity. This subject is not capable of being treated at greater length. Several questions arise. How is one to carry one's wife with one? What are her rights and such other questions? Yet those who wish to take part in a great work are bound to solve these puzzles. Just as there is necessity for chastity, so is there for poverty. Pecuniary ambition and passive resistance cannot go well together. Those who have money are not expected to throw it away, but they are expected to be indifferent about it. They must be prepared to lose every penny rather than give up passive resistance. Passive resistance has been described in the course of our discussion as truth force. Truth, therefore, has necessarily to be followed, and that at any cost. In this connection, academic questions such as whether a man may not lie in order to save a life, etc., arise, but these questions occur only to those who wish to justify lying. Those who want to follow truth every time are not placed in such a quandary, and if they are, they are still saved from a false position. Passive resistance cannot proceed a step without fearlessness. Those alone can follow the path of passive resistance who are free from fear, whether as to their possessions, false honor, their relatives, the government, bodily injuries, death. These observances are not to be abandoned in the belief that they are difficult. Nature has implanted in the human breast ability to cope with any difficulty or suffering that may come to man unprovoked. These qualities are worth having, even for those who do not wish to serve the country. Let there be no mistake, as those who want to train themselves in the use of arms are also obliged to have these qualities, more or less. Everybody does not become a warrior for the wish. A would-be warrior will have to observe chastity and to be satisfied with poverty as his lot. A warrior without fearlessness cannot be conceived of. It may be thought that he would not need to be exactly truthful, but that quality follows real fearlessness. When a man abandons truth, he does so owing to fear in some shape or form. The above four attributes, then, need not frighten anyone. It may be as well here to note that a physical force man has to have many other useless qualities which a passive resistor never needs. And you will find that whatever extra effort a swordsman needs is due to lack of fearlessness. If he is an embodiment of the latter, the sword will drop from his hand that very moment. He does not need its support. One who is free from hatred requires no sword. A man with a stick suddenly came face to face with a lion and instinctively raised his weapon in self-defense. The man saw that he had only prated about fearlessness when there was none in him. That moment he dropped the stick and found himself free from all fear. All right, that was chapter 17 of uh, Mohandas Gandhi's Hind Swaraj, um, or Home Rule, Indian Home Rule. And I was joined in this reading with Abby Russ, uh, a former student of mine. And later this month, you can hear my discussion 
of the text uh, with the eminent scholar of Gandhi's anarchism, K.P. Shankaran. Abby, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. All right.